In your holy name, amen. Amen. We're continuing this uh, series where we're heading through really the five major promises that God has given to his people. And, and we started out uh, week one uh, on the heels of the event called the, the flood. And, and we saw how God was beginning and in, in paving the way for the foundational blueprints of salvation to start, where, where he gave to Noah and his family the exact blueprint, the exact way that they needed to follow in order that they would be saved. And so Noah and his family followed that blueprint. They, they followed the way, more literally, it was a blueprint because it was a boat. But they followed that way that they would be able to be saved. And in the process, God was, was renewing and restoring and recreating distinctions within creation so that when they, when they came to the other side, they would be once again given that mandate to fulfill and subdue the earth. And then we went on, and instead of a promise to all creation, we saw that with Abram, God chose this, this one individual. He chose this one individual to, to give a promise to that this one individual would somehow make this great nation that would, would be a blessing to all of God's people, all people on earth, not just his own nation. And we saw how, how within that there was some struggle, there was some difficulty because sometimes when you receive a promise like Abram did, it didn't come right away from the from the time that God made the promise to the time that Abram received essentially the heir, the gift of the promise was 25 years. It's almost a lifetime for some people, 25 years waiting. And then, and then we saw how, how God made good on that promise. Not only did he give one individual, Isaac, but, but Isaac turned out to to have more children and turned Abram's family into this great nation that ended up being in, in slavery in Egypt. And, and God took them out of Egypt by way of Moses, this great nation. And then God made another promise to this great nation of, of Israel, not because they were the biggest, not because they were the brightest, not because they were the best, but because God loved them. And he, he made this promise, and this time it wasn't a one-sided promise. This time it, it required something of the Israelites. It required them to, to follow God in, in God's way. The blueprint that God was, was starting to reveal to them, the, he, he gave them the, the Ten Commandments and other laws about festivals and, and laws about social responsibility and in laws about how they were to deal with sickness and all of these different things, and they were supposed to follow all these 62 different laws. And, and, and then God, God would, would look upon them, and, and they would be this royal priesthood. They would be this holy nation. And we talked about how, how God made that promise knowing his people were, were going to fail. We, we likened it to when parents buy a, a uh, dog for their kids, and their kids say, hey, we'll take care of it. We'll do everything ourselves." And, and I just want everyone to know that my dog is fine. I was not having this conversation last week because something happened to Hudson. I know you were all very worried. 
And now we, we come to another, another promise. We're coming to the promise of David. And when you think about any good story, right, there's, there's characters and there's this, this setting and then there's this, this plot and usually there's, there's something that happens that's, that's a difficulty, a problem that must be overcome. But then comes the best part of the story. It's this, this resolution where everything gets made right. It's where wrongs are made right. It's where, it's where the, the death star is blown up. Right? It's where Ray defeats the Sith for one last time. This is just for Star Wars fans. No Star Wars fans here. Okay. It's where, it's where um, Nemo and his dad are are joined back together, right? It's, it's where, um, what are the other, I can't think of any other stories right now. Um, I need to cheat and actually look at my notes here. Oh, here we go. This, is, this one's for the Germanies. It's, it's when Ryder and Chase somehow save the day from Mayor Humdinger. There we go. Right? It's, it's when these wrongs, these problems in life somehow get, get made right. And as we, we head into 2 Samuel chapter 7, that's page 245 on those black Bibles, as we, as we head there, perhaps this resolution is what is in the mind of David already at this time. So, uh, Peyton, would you throw those... Uh, slides up on the screen for me as we read together from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am, living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night, word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people of Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and, from the, and uh, appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning. And have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies, the Lord declares uh, to you, that the Lord himself will establish for you a house. 
When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up for you an offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported David all these words of this entire revelation. As the Israelites have begun to experience these promises of God, the promise of, of being a nation, the promise of, of living in the land that, that God had, had showed them, it, it almost seems it almost seems like we're getting to resolution. It seems that way when we, we look at this first verse. After the king was settled into his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. When you think about those, those stories that, that, that have a resolution, go back to Star Wars. When Rey defeats the Sith, they will have rest from the enemy. And then they're not going to make any movies anymore because it'll be done. When when God settles his king into this permanent house of cedar, in the, the land that God had showed them to live in, and when, when God then gives them peace from all the enemies that are around them, all the people that sought to invade them, all the people that stood in their way of, of living there, doesn't that, doesn't that sound like that would be the end of the story? It sounds like, well, there's peace now, and, and God has, has planted us in these immovable buildings that we, we no longer have to pack up and take with us because we're here. We've, we've finished it. We've accomplished what we're supposed to. We're in this land, and, and, and we will be here forever. We're in our, our permanent homes Maybe, maybe those are some of the things that, was, that started going through David's mind as he began maybe having a little more time to, to, to write his psalms. Maybe, you know, he had a little home recording studio in that house of cedar, a place that he could display all his lyres and stringed instruments. I don't know, probably not. We get a vision of what's going through David's mind if, if we read 1 Chronicles 16, which, which 1 Chronicles 16 and, and 2 Samuel 7 are, are written about the same time period. So if we go to this passage, oh, I went too far. Here's what David has written. Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wonderful acts, 
glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. He's so glad and, and joy-filled because he, he knows they're where they should, should be. He knows they're in the land that had been, been promised to their forefathers. He knows that God has made good on the covenant with Abraham that came before. They're, in, they're a nation, and they've, they've taken possession of the land, and they're, they're ready to be this blessing to God. And as David is, is remembering the glory of God and all the works that God has done, he remembers that God is still in this tent. This tent that is probably fairly dusty from the 40 years of, of wandering in the desert as they, they pick up the pieces and, and, and move it and then rebuild it and pick up the pieces and move it and, and rebuild it. And instead of this tabernacle, this fancy tent, he thinks, the king of Israel has a palace, then, then the God of Israel surely should have a temple. If, if we give God a temple, then God won't ever have to move anymore. God can, can settle down right in this one spot just as he is settling us down in our spots. It will, it will be like putting a bow on on the promises of making God in a movable space for him to settle in and dwell there forever. And then the credits roll and the black screen comes and the story's done. So David took this idea to Nathan, the prophet at the time, and and Nathan knows that God has been with David the entire time. God has, has, has been telling David how he should move forward, what steps he should take. And, and David was, was so obedient that he would listen and follow those ways of God, consulting him, even consulting him here now instead of just going, drawing up blueprints himself. So Nathan says, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. He agreed, a new house for God sounds perfect. This actually shouldn't come as too much a surprise that David would want to build a house for his God. Because if, if you go back to the ancient Near East, oftentimes kings would build houses or, or temples for their God. It would, it would be a way to recognize their God and their, their God's participation in all that has come before and in the conquest of the land that they've taken over and in all the things that have done. The king wants to acknowledge the God that he serves, the God that led to their safety in the process. But quicker than David can begin drafting plans and figuring out where to procure all the material and, and fundraising for this grand temple, that night, that very single night, 
God speaks with his prophet, Nathan. And Nathan says, instead of building me a house, I'm going to build him one. says that in verse 16. God is going to build a house for David. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. It's this beautiful little play on the word house, by it, as it is in, in Hebrew. And, and we talked about the, the Greek word Hebrew oikos a couple weeks ago and, and how oikos could mean house, but it could also at times mean dynasty. Well, in the same way, here we have the word by it, where, where, where David is talking about a house. He's talking about a building, but God, instead of talking about a building, is talking about a dynasty of one person connected to another, one blood relative to another, to another, to another, of a throne that will last forever, a dynasty that will will never stop, and it's something completely different and way better than David could have even imagined. God's desires are, are blowing out of the water any idea of what David actually has in mind. Because what, what David actually has in mind is, all right, my name's Steve, and I had a son, Peyton, or, you know, my dad, Jerry, had a son, Steve, and then Steve had a son named Peyton, and look, there are eight generations. He's just thinking generations, and yep, There will be this earthly kingdom from one person to another to another. And I'm sure that that to David felt like peace and comfort. I think there's times in our life where we live in a certain way and desire certain things like David perhaps desired initially to build a house but then got peace and comfort from something else that, that God was coming that that we, we kind of set ourselves at ease maybe a little bit more. We, we want to soak in those moments of accomplishment where, like David, he wanted to soak in, all right, we've got peace, I have a house, I'm going to build a house, good. You know, or, you know, hey, I, I went through this, I, I graduated from seminary, and I'm going to sit back and enjoy that moment. You know, or I, or I graduated from high school, I'm going to sit back and enjoy that moment. I'm going to I, I worked all these years to get to retirement now. I'm going to sit back and enjoy these, these moments of accomplishment. I've built my dream home, the thing that I really wanted to design and build, and I helped craft it, and I got to choose everything, all the different ways that I, that I wanted the flooring to look and the tile and all these, the doorknobs and all these little different things. And now I can sit. Peace and comfort, basking in these moments. But what David missed in this, maybe basking in this idea of building a house, was that his vision wasn't big enough. Even him thinking about God's God's working in his life to create generation after generation of a never-ending kingdom, his vision wasn't big enough. He didn't have this 
God-sized vision of what God was going to do not only in his lifetime, but also the lifetimes to come that would follow afterwards. How can, how can we develop this God-sized vision? This God-sized vision that seems so crazy and so improbable and, and you wouldn't be able to accomplish it on your own even if you tried for lifetimes. How can you develop this God-sized vision in your life where God is going to accomplish something so great that people will look at it and say, only God could have done it. Only God could have done it. Perhaps that was kind of the, the vision that you guys had before I arrived, where you said, hey, what if we didn't have a mortgage? What if, what if we... What if we piled all our resources together and, and we probably didn't even have it all then? I, I don't know. And, and all of a sudden, then, then God was, was working with this God-sized vision that, that you had, had created. And, and he starts working and then $20 and $50. And, and all of a sudden, when I arrived, actually before I arrived, I, I think, I don't know, you stood somewhere in here. You were a part of this. I wasn't here. And you burned the mortgage, and thankfully not the building. Right? How is it, how can we develop this God-sized vision out of this limited vision that we often seem to have? This limited vision like David had. Thinking of his, perhaps his son Solomon that he had in the back of his mind that he wanted to name someone Solomon. You know, that, that would, would go on to be another earthly figure reigning a kingdom. You know, we can tell that David was only thinking of an earthly kingdom if we, we go to, to some of his psalms. In, in Psalm 89, verses 1 through 4, he says, I will sing of the, great, the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all the generations. I would declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my sermon. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. He's thinking about all his earthly kids that are going to, going to follow on after as, as the king of Israel, the secure family line. A vision in his mind that didn't include the God-man. David's vision wasn't grand enough, and I'm sure mine wouldn't have been either, to include someone who would come to earth as fully human and fully divine, part of David's line, to, to reign not here on earth forever right now because he went back up, but to, to reign in heaven and then one day come back and reign over all creation. A God-sized vision that has this unique relationship that God desires to have with his people. A God-sized vision that 
that doesn't find its fulfillment in Solomon who gets to build the temple, but in Jesus Christ who makes you and I living temples to God. Scripture says, I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me, the Messiah. Advent, this this time where we gather in waiting with the Israelites, it's celebrating this grand vision that God had from the foundations of the world, this grand vision that that would make his own people, not just the Israelites, but all of those who would believe in Jesus Christ Christ after to be those living temples of God. A kingdom stemming from the covenant with Noah and and God's promise to all of creation, a promise that that went by way of of his promise with, with Abram creating this nation, a a promise to us that came through the the promise to the Israelites that they would follow in his way and that now comes through this promise to David where there will be this everlasting kingdom, this righteous and just and merciful ruler in heaven above and in the future, earth below. God, Time after time after time, he says, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going I'm to stake my life on it. I'm going I'm to make sure these promises come to fruition because my plan is so much better than yours. My plan, my grand vision for what I have of this kingdom of priests, of these people who are temples of God is, is so much better than anything that you can have in your mind. And so when we, when we think about our, our lives as we, we go forward, we think about our own vision and we think about, about the vision that God has in our life. When we think about those times perhaps where we're consent, content settling down and, and limiting our, our vision so that well, if I limit my vision, there'll be a more likelihood that it'll, it'll succeed and, and that I won't fail. In, instead of maybe thinking that way, maybe we could step into this grand vision that God has for us in our life, that we can, can, can live in a way that, that we know that only God could accomplish what we were hoping to accomplish. So, so this week, think about those areas where we're we're content in, in stepping back on the promise that God has for us. Those, those moments where we're, we're thinking about playing it safe rather than risking it all for God. Those areas where we're content with the peace and quiet rather than pushing into something that we know might be hard and difficult, but it's what the Lord is calling us. But here's the thing that we see in this story. Even though, even though we sometimes feel, and, and, and there'll be those times where we, we settle down. We, we settle in those places of, of comfort and, and we, we step back. What, what God says to David here, I don't need a house. I don't, 
I don't need to settle down. The, the only time that I need to, to finally settle down is when I can settle down with you. When my vision comes to its, its fullness, when this kingdom of heaven and earth once finally meet together and then we can settle down together. God, the God-man, the, the Holy Spirit in us, in the new kingdom, the kingdom where Jesus reigns forever and ever. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for never settling down. That you never say, well, I think that's good enough. I'll just settle down into this place of comfort. Instead, it's, it's you who keeps pushing through all of creation and all of history to see your grand vision, your grand vision of, of hosts of people who are glorifying you. And so it's our prayer today that that would come to fruition. Whether it be through the, the work here at Princeton, as, as we live for you, love our neighbors, and lead people to Christ, as we, we take those steps, those what seem to be big steps ac across the neighborhood to talk to somebody, across the park, across the room, or, or whether it be through our partnership with, with Joel and Haley as, as they, they work helping inform future leaders, future people who will graduate and move on into different countries and affect so many different people. Cause your, your vision in our life of, of more evangelism like Joel and Haley. Cause your, your vision of our life, of our mission here to be so grand that, that it's only you who is going to accomplish it. And then we get to just rejoice by being those individuals, those crooked sticks that somehow you can make straight lines out of. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.